Hello there. Uh, real quick, uh, believe it or not, I was actually able to figure out how to like put my voice in beforehand. Before, so anyways, besides the point, um, I know that this is like about yeah, like two months overdue. Uh, I don't know what happened. I took like a two week break for Christmas and stuff, and then um, I kept trying to upload them to the server that they're posted to Spotify off of, and it um never posted them and it took me a very long time to realize that so sorry for anybody who's been just completely forgotten about this little pet project of mine i could release like the i don't know how many is it it's like 12 episodes that i've done in the meantime at once but um i don't think i'll be doing that so uh yeah sorry about that um and the rest will be coming out steadily that i'm just gonna be re-releasing them so yeah why hello there and welcome to another episode of random rambles of robert today i know i know we've covered war three in so far but this one's actually something that i've been really interested about i find him to be an interesting guy going to be another biographical piece similar to Cicero but I don't know it's pretty interesting um this is about someone who I think has done a lot for the world that we live in and that has helped create the world that we live in we are going to be covering a gentleman by the name of Steve Wozniak all right so let's just dive right into it he was born on August 11th, 1950, which is interesting because prior to this, I had I always thought he was born in the 60s, not the 50s, which um I don't know why I thought that because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but um here we are. So anyways, he was born in the 50s. Uh, a very interesting thing is that you know you hear the name Stephen, you expect it to be spelled like S T E V E N or S-T-E-P-H-E-N, you know, or something like that. But uh, his is actually spelled with an A. So it's really more like Stefan, but he goes by Stephen anyways, which I just think is interesting. Um, I couldn't find a whole lot on his earlier years. Um, I heard him comment on how he just thought about the parent, the way that his parents raised him. They were spe specifically stating how they always knew that he was a very bright individual which we now know that he is beyond a very bright individual he's like a once in a generation mind but that they went out of their way to kind of just like raise him normally like they sent him to like i think it was a local public school and stuff i don't quote me on that part i he was either that yeah I'm pretty sure but anyways uh, he was just raised like a normal kid and stuff, but he said that he always had a feeling because he remembered like doing tests and stuff. He just was able to blow past everybody like it wasn't even a competition. He just was way quicker and way more accurate than them. Uh, something else that I thought was pretty interesting is that when speaking about what inspired him to go on and invent the things that he did invent, he actually cited Star Trek as a major influence, which I don't know, just pretty interesting to me. Um, but anyway, so eventually when he was a young man, he goes on to invent the blue box. And I personally have always wanted to go to like the, uh, computer history museum that they have in Anaheim, uh, and see, cause they actually have one on display. And basically, uh, we don't really think about this today, you know, cause well, we have phones like cell phones. We can just call anybody for the most part within our own country and sometimes over the entire world without any real issue. But I mean, you know, back in the day with all landlines and stuff, that wasn't how it was. 
But these people called freakers, they discovered a way to make long distance calls, you know, not just calls in your local little region, but all across the country for free instead of having to pay for them. And it's really interesting how they did this because eventually they were able to figure out that the way that the phone knows how to patch one line to another is that it would actually, a machine would make a tone and it would use that to figure out where it needed to patch itself to. So these guys, these they were called freakers, spelled like P-H-R-E-A-K-E-R-S, would whistle in the phone to convince it to patch them into three different places. Um, and they would just call like toll free 1-800 numbers, you know, for like ambulance chaser lawyers and stuff. And that's how they would do it. Like, it's actually kind of smart when you really think about it. Um, and Steven, like his, or this was here, his real first invention was he made one that would just automatically start doing those tones for you. And that's pretty interesting. It's not like the biggest accomplishment, but I just like how that's kind of where he got his start. Like, um, if you read up on like a lot of early computer scientists and stuff, you know, like uh, another really interesting guy, I think, is Kevin Mitnick. And that's how he got his start was like phone freaking, although he didn't just phone freak. He just like burnt the whole <laughs> Los Angeles phone system to the ground for the fun of it. I mean, not really, but like he would just mess with all sorts of crazy stuff. Kind of funny if you ever more read his autobiography. But so, yeah pretty interesting um he then went to boulder university and why this is so funny to me is because they kicked him out and you'll see why this is ironic later but they actually kicked him out for hacking the central computing system and he didn't do anything malicious he just wondered if he could do it um so he was a high school drop or not high school he was a college dropout and stuff and in 1973 he designed a circuit board for another individual that I am sure you have heard of. In fact, I believe... No, we haven't. But, yeah. Or do we? Uh, we might have in the last episode. Who knows? But, uh, another individual that I'm sure you've heard of. Steve Jobs. Uh, because, you see, Jobs was working at the Atari... Was working for Atari at the time. And he was supposed to actually work on a board that they had and eliminate the need for 50 chips on it you know for trying to streamline production and stuff and steve was really good at a lot of things like selling things to people but he was not an electrical hardware engineer he just wasn't but luckily all was here was in fact his design that he made as you know he was like a 21 year old guy uh was so advanced that it couldn't be replicated by Atari. Like they said, this is so good that we don't know how to even produce this and stuff, you know? So they just had to pass up on the design because it was just, it was something that they weren't capable of reproducing, you know, in an effective manner. Um, kind of interesting, sad part of it all though is that um, they were, so Jaws was given a 5,000 bonus a five thousand dollar bonus which was a lot at the time and um he prom promised to split it 50 50 with wozniak but um wozniak only saw 350 dollars of that so you know real classy guy anyways uh but then this is what's interesting is that later that year the apple one was developed by wozniak now why the apple one is so interesting and so pivotal to computer history like i would argue it and the Macintosh, well, I don't know, you can make an argument, I think that the Macintosh might be the most uh, influential or the most, you know, kind of moving thing in computer history, like it did so much 
for the world that we have now that with just a graphical user interface it's kind of crazy i mean they've stole it from xerox in a lot of ways but besides the point is that the apple one was the first computer that was able to display a character on a tv screen and we don't really think about this but up until this point computers if you will they were just like calculators like you could get them to do things and stuff, you know, or you would have to, like, plug inputs into them, and then they would spit information back out at you. But, like, it wasn't, like, anything that, you like, you could really see actively working in real time and stuff. But Wozniak was able to develop a computer that could indeed do that. In fact, he was so good at developing a computer that could do this that it was hotly wanted in the whole area in which that they lived in at the time. Uh, he tried to actually design, to sell the design for the Apple One to HP computers on five different occasions um, while he was working there, but they turned it down, which is um, kind of funny. I bet you HP or Hewlett Packer is really loving it now that they could have, you know, gotten a head start and been like, you know, the ones to invent, to, you know, really design and implement the modern computer, but um, they didn't, so that's funny. Um, but eventually, his friend here, as we all know, Steve Jobs, convinced him to sell the bare PCB of the machine and that they would, you know, start a company and stuff like that. And Jobs sold his VW band, and this is really interesting. I didn't realize just how much these bad boys were, but oh my gosh. Uh, Wozniak sold his HP scientific calculator. So those were, that was the capital that they were working with. And I looked this up because I was like, man, Jobs seems like he contributed a lot more to this. But that calculator was worth like $2,000 in today's money. Like that's, that's a lot of money for a calculator. Um, so then going on after their company startup, Wozniak priced the uh, Apple One PCB at $666.66. This is just funny to me because he was later in an interview asked about why exactly he priced it with the Mark of the Beast number. And, uh, you know, people asking if he had, like, some sort of satanic uh, relation to what he laughed. And he said he had no knowledge of the Mark of the Beast. He just likes, he said that he just liked uh, numbers repeating and that the divisibility of the number six is very pleasing to him. So, I don't know. That That's kind of funny. Um, we'll touch back on this later. Because I, I have some theories about uh, old Steve here and kind of what makes him tick. But um, we'll get to that later. So anyways, the Apple One was then released as a hobbyist kind of machine. Like, you know, you know how nowadays we have those Raspberry Pis? You've probably seen them on Pinterest or YouTube or I don't know. I don't know what the kids are into these days. But uh, maybe, yeah, maybe you haven't. But anyways... It's like just essentially a small, I mean, it's a lot cheaper and, you know, funnily enough, more powerful. But um, it's just like a bare PCB that you can convince to do different things and stuff, you know. But in and of itself, it isn't like, you know, a whole computer. Well, that's what the Apple One was. Um, it had no ability to add expansion cards. Didn't have a case. Like I said, it was just a bare PCB. No power supply, no keyboard, and you know how the whole selling point on it was that it could work with a display? Well, they really sold you on this, it can work with the display part by not including a display. I mean, it was just a bare board, nothing more. But what made it so special is that it could display 40 character rows by 24 columns. I mean, that is... 
like I said, once again, that's not something that we really think about a whole lot, but that was such a big achievement at the time that it's kind of crazy that a guy was able just to do this tinkering around. Like, absolutely crazy. And this information uh, was provided to the user and such an experience that wasn't really seen before that it really was game-changing. This is kind of where things take a bit of a sad turn, though, because, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah... Uh, Apple II gets released, Apple becomes a big, very big company, but he, it kind of is a little bit sad. In 1981, he got into a plane crash, and I've heard a lot of people, this is where a lot of people think, you know, because eventually there was a whole, you know, problem with uh, Apple management and stuff, you know, and that everybody wanted to keep making the Apple II, Steve Jobs wanted to move on, you know, and follow his vision, um, then he threw a fit when other people didn't want to follow his vision and then through meetings which have never fully been disclosed but if i have to guess i'm going to guess that all mr jobs there um tried to force something to oust everybody but ended up ousting himself i just i just got a feeling that that's what happened so after that he got put out anyways but i've read some things that people think that it might have had something to do with his plane crash that you know like um Jobs was the big dreamer and stuff, you know. Uh, Waz is a lot more of the realist. He was able, you know, to go, that's really great, but this is the technical limitations of what we're able to do and stuff, you know. And that because, even though Jobs didn't really respect many people, they kind of had a mutual respect for one another since they were the ones that really built the place from below the ground up, uh, that it kind of just threw everything out of balance so after he got into that plane crash he had to take a temporary leave for the company and it isn't like the most obvious thing that you can really see but like if you look at pictures of him you'll notice his left nostril is like a little bit bigger and stuff and that's partially because when he got into that plane crash it like really messed him up and he had to go like under intense facial reconstructive surgery but anyway so four years later 1985 uh, Wozniak returned to the company, but he became frustrated because Apple, under the direction of Jobs, started completely disregarding the Apple II, <laughs> despite the fact that at this time, like, you know, you would think that you would want to acknowledge the thing, keeping the doors open and paying the bills. Well, that was the Apple II. The Apple II was making up 85% of the company's sales. Like, as greedy as it is to have a vision and want to move forward, also, too, neglecting the thing that makes you the money to have that vision, mm, that's kind of like, what's the saying? Something about your foot despite your nose? I don't know. Anyways, he, th they were kind of shooting themselves in the foot there. Um, that's a much better saying that I actually know I'm doing correctly. So then, in 1985... Wozniak left the company, citing that he was not who he wanted to be, and that he was being held back by needing to be a manager, and that what he really wanted to be was simply just a hardware engineer. I mean, that's what he always loved, that's what he was going to school for, and that was where he really felt like he actually wanted to be. So in 85, he founded another company called CL9, and this is interesting. Because Waz has a lot of patents under his name. Uh, I Let me see if I can get the exact number here. Yeah, he's got four patents. That's a fairly decent amount for one individual. But what's really interesting is that one of them is for a universally programmable remote. Which is interesting because, like, you know, 
we don't really think about it today a whole lot because it's not like something that really comes up for us but you know back in the day you had to have a separate remote for each thing but he was able to figure out to get a make a remote that could work at all different frequencies depending on what it needed to and i had no idea that he was the one that invented that so this is just kind of a a fun little fact for you i know how much y'all love those then this is also really interesting um he dabbled in education briefly teaching classes from fifth through ninth grade because he felt that he always wished that he kind of had an influence uh in his you know schooling career that would go that you know would kind of have the same interests and thoughts that he did and stuff and uh skipping forward a bit in 2017 he founded was you an online education service for independent scholars uh i looked into it um not all that interesting actually interestingly enough uh, and of course, he has now gone on to do a whole lot of philanthropy because he is a billionaire. Um, also, some other fun things that I uh, kind of found out about him, too, was that he's technically still employed by Apple. Um, I couldn't find any exact numbers on how much he actually gets paid a year, but it's something like a few thousand dollars, a lot of people think. Um, and that's just funny to me, and apparently he only does it that way he gets the company newsletter and can sit in on board meetings when he wants, but, um, I don't know, I just thought that was funny how, even though he technically left the company, he's still employed by them, so, I don't know, if anything, it just would make taxes a bit of a pain, I would think, but, um, yeah, and then I thought about going over all of his reward, you know, uh, honors and awards that he got, but there is just... Oh, there's just too many. I mean, I guess that's kind of what you would expect when you have, like, one of the most influential people to ever live. But, uh, I mean, he's got, like, 15. It doesn't seem like that much, but there's a lot. But this is what I thought was really interesting, is that he has been given a number of uh, honorary engineering degrees of a doctoral level. And when I say a number, you're probably thinking, like, oh, two or three... Um, but no, no, it's actually been a little bit more than that, interestingly enough. Let's see here, we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. He has 10 doctorate, honorary doctorate degrees. That's a lot. I am Robert with my little AA degree. I don't have 10 doctorates, so it's kind of crazy for me to think about that this man has that many and he's the most recent one because you think that maybe he just got them all early on the most recent one was from and forgive me anybody who knows spanish here because i'm about to butcher this one but at the university camillo jose sella in madrid spain in november of 2013 and remember how I said that he got um, kicked out of a University of Colorado Boulder, you know, for um, hacking into the mainframe, as the movies like to say? Um, well, funnily enough, uh, that exact institution was the first one to give him an honorary uh, doctorate degree in 1989. So I like how he just kind of went about getting his degree in his own way. And I don't know. It's just funny to me uh, that that's what he's done so yeah besides i mean he's done a lot of other crazy things too like if i like i'd probably be here for an hour and i don't know uh since i've made like other longer episodes and stuff and i've had a few people tell me that they would maybe like a little bit shorter of a program uh 
I could go into a lot of those, but I just won't at this time. Um, but yeah, really interesting guy. Now, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I said something about, you know, giving my own personal thoughts on the matter and stuff. And, uh, so, I don't know, because I think people like him are incredibly interesting in how they tick. Um, and I, he's just an especially fascinating one. I have a couple theories. I think that... I almost wonder if he's on the spectrum or something, because um, <laughs> in doing research for this uh, lovely episode of ours, um, <laughs> I actually found some clips of him. I didn't know this, but he was actually on Dancing with the Stars, and funnily enough, um, he acted very interestingly. Like, um, I almost wonder if he pre-plans, like, a lot of his more typical media appearances out. Because, you know, just kind of being more off the cuff and stuff, he acts in a very interesting way. So I almost wonder if he is, like, on the spectrum or something. Uh, or if he's got some sort of brain abnormality. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people like that. Like, Paul Allen had that. Um, Bill Gates is suspected, you know, Steve Jobs and stuff. So I don't know, but he's just really interesting to me. Like, I don't know. I would say that other people, because, you know, he's kind of like a once-in-a-generation talent. I know I already said that, but, you know, like, before him, I think that, like, Newton was that guy, you know? Uh, kind of was in, you know, previous century or right around there. A little bit more, I believe. But, you know, he was, you know, kind of this guy that went in and he uh, paved the way for, like, new scientific advancements and stuff, you know, in case people don't know, you know, Newton was the guy that first, you know, created the theory of, although really you could say he was, you know, this camp. but anyways, um, he was, you know, the first one to solidify, let's put it that way, because uh, Copernic was the first one to kind of suggest that there was some sort of force, I believe that's his name, don't quote me, but he was the first one to kind of suggest that there was some force keeping all the planets together, but Newton was the first one to suggest that it wasn't some magnetic force like Copernic thought, but that actually it might be something else entirely, that something being a force based off of math, mass, you know, which we now call gravity, and that he pioneered the theory of gravity. And, you know, invented calculus and stuff. And I think of Wozniak in a very similar way. Um, because even though, you know, Wozniak was kind of, you know, carrying the baton, you know, from... I think I said that previously in the previous episode. But even though, you know, he was kind of using the technology, you know, that uh, like the transistors and stuff that were be de being developed and pioneered, is that it wasn't really until he came along and was able to implement it in a way that people could actually use without having you know be like some NASA engineering technician or something that really is what shifted the whole paradigm and just like everything and I think that is really interesting and it kind of almost makes me a bit sad because I feel like for being as important and influential of a person as he is especially for today's modern times um, that he really kind of is forgotten about. Well, maybe not forgotten, but he, I feel like he maybe doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. Uh, so yeah, that's those. And I just think I personally would recommend reading up on him more. Like I said, I didn't want to get into a lot of the specifics. Otherwise, we'd be here for hours. But very interesting. Highly recommend reading up on him if on your own if you wish to do so. But... 
that wraps up today's topic of the episode. Uh, a listener said or suggested that I should read a few facts at the end of every episode because they said that my second one where I just read off a bunch of facts was one of their personal favorites of the three that I have. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll try that out. I'll maybe do like, I don't know, five, seven, something like that. Anyways, so in this first one, Snapple real fact make sure they say that uh number 1607 in the 1800s cadbury created the first heart-shaped chocolate box huh how about that pretty interesting uh like oh like a cadbury egg people that's interesting uh i've never had one of those they don't seem all that good to me um number 1337 antarctica is home to the largest desert in the world you know, I do. I want to know how exactly because I I believe that fully, but I wonder what exactly is used to classify it as a desert. I should look into that. Number thirteen thirty. There is a pink lake in Australia, Australia, named Lake Hillier. That seems really cool. Um, I went to a place in the Yukon Territory of Canada, you know, the one right next to Alaska, and it was one of the coolest lakes I've ever seen because it was, like, green on the outer edges and blue. Like, it almost looked like, you know, the uh, prism prismatic spring or something in Yellowstone, but it was just, like, a lake in there. Super cool. They called it, like, the Emerald Lake. Really neat. Uh, number 1328. You cannot taste food until mixed with saliva. I don't know about this one. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'll have to look into this because, like, my rationale behind it is is that it's the taste buds themselves that have like the uh ner the sensory you know neurons and stuff and whatever kind of bridges the communication between them that understand the taste of it. So I don't see what is necessary about saliva. I don't know. Uh, number 1324. In South Korea, a baby is considered one year old at birth. What? That's just dumb. Like, that's just stupid. It's literally... Well, I shouldn't say literally. I don't know anything for certain. But my understanding of it is that a child cannot stay in the baby-making chamber of a woman. <laughs> well, oh, gosh. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, can't, you know, stay inside one's mother for much longer than nine months before it will eventually die. Something about it, like, having to breathe or defecation or something. I don't know. So that's just stupid to me because it can't be one years old. Like, it, as far as I know, it cannot. The child can be nine months old. It can be nine months and two weeks. Oh, it can even be eight months and six months old, you know. Or eight months and two weeks old. Oh, gosh. But... I uh, um I don't I I don't think so I don't think that's how it works this this annoys me if this is true oh okay whatever I'm just gonna have to move past it that 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 one got to me a little bit fact number thirteen twenty eight Alaska is the only state that can be typed on on one row of keys all right I got a keyboard right in front of me for my computer here I'm gonna like type this out all right so um. If my keyboard destroys the mic, uh, my apologies. Okay. Huh. Interesting. It actually can. That's... Huh. 
yeah, I don't see how else like any other state. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, huh. You know, stuff like that that I have to wonder. <laughs> like, who just sits there one day and goes, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna see wh how." Yeah, I just, I just don't get who comes up with some of this stuff. But fact number eight fourteen: tug of war was an Olympic sport in the early 1900s. Oh, I did know this one. I really want this to be an Olympic sport again. Um. I think, what is it, isn't it in mid-February or something, the Winter Games are supposed to happen? Yeah, I can't wait for, man, I mean, I don't really care about the Olympics, but um, let me tell you, if there was like a uh, tug-of-war in snow, oh, I would watch that, that'd be pretty cool, that would be fun, I, yeah. Okay, number 1274, kickball is referred to as soccer baseball in some parts of Canada. I mean, it makes sense, like, I don't, like, it's just, I guess, yeah, there's a lot of things that could be considered that, like, how, um, I don't know, yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess, but this one's just very uninteresting to me, like, woo-wee, soccer kickball, that's great, this is just combining the two things that it kind of is already, don't see what's so special or interesting, but alright, this will be the last one for today. Fact number 1270. Wow, I don't know why that was so hard for me to read. Early sunscreens included ingredients like rice bran oil, iron, clay, and tar. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things like this at the time. Like, um, I know that in the 30s and stuff, they used to use dog hair for uh, bristles on toothbrush. I'm really glad that's not the case now. But... Anyways, very interesting nonetheless. So, thank you for joining me for this episode of Random Rambles of Robert. I greatly appreciate it. Remember, you can always write it at the email I have provided, um, or however you would like to contact me and let me know with any suggestions. I am taking them. As you heard, I pulled out a couple today. I hope that you had a good time listening to this ramble and have a wonderful rest of your day.